Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. really start to build that esteem we talked about and and you start to build a, a muscle in recovery um that you talked about where you can find a way to have these difficult conversations right like all that had atrophied you know and or, or maybe it was never even there but now i'm able to have like real conversations and, right. and do things that are hard um and sort of you know not be i'm, I'm sometimes i'm driven by fear but a lot of times when I am, I know exactly where to go to get the courage and what I need. And it's not in a bottle or it's not in some pill. You know what I mean? It's in recovery. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of I Love Being Sober, sponsored by Camelback Recovery, Arizona's preferred mental health and addiction treatment option to help people get on the path or stay on the path to recovery. My name is Tim Westbrook, and I'm the CEO and founder of Camelback Recovery here in the always sunny and always sober Scottsdale, Arizona, where my team and I, over the course of many years, have helped thousands of people to stop their suffering and continue on their path to recovery. The purpose of this podcast is to come clean with all of the misinformation that's out there about recovery, addiction treatment, mental illness, and the strategies to thrive in life. So if you believe you're in the right place, or if you know someone who is struggling with mental health and or addiction, it's my privilege to share this podcast with you. And I also know that to find long-term recovery and live happy, joyous, and free, it's not just about stopping your drinking, drugging, gambling, sexual indiscretions, or any other addiction you may have struggled with or suffered from. Because at Camelback Recovery, we believe that sobriety and recovery can and should be fun. And look, any recovery process is not easy. It is challenging. It can sometimes be annoying. And for the most of us, it is often difficult to stay on the path. But here's the good news. The self-awareness you gain from listening to this podcast, especially if you are in your first year of recovery, will help you make better choices, which will ultimately lead you to living a better life. Visit camelbackrecovery.com to learn more about our treatment strategies for alcoholism, drug addiction, or mental illness. And we even offer recovery coaching so that you can enjoy the freedom and happiness you've always searched for. Today, I'm here with a guy that calls games for ESPN. He's the host of a podcast called The Payoff with Pete. He's been clean and sober for close to 12 years, and he's passionate about carrying the message. His name is Pete Sousa. We're going to talk about his story of experience, strength, and hope, his numerous attempts at trying to get sober, and the gift of desperation. Pete, welcome to the show. Hey, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. I really, uh, it's an honor and a privilege, dude. 
Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we got connected by Peter Meyerhoff. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, he speaks very highly of you. And I, I don't know a lot about your story, but that's uh-huh. I have you on here because Pete speaks highly of you and your story. And, and I'm just really looking forward to getting to learn more about you. So Peter came on my podcast. He, as you know, is just uh-huh. a force of nature. And then I think another mutual connection is Megan Racer. She yes. came on my podcast too. Um, and uh, yeah, she's another one that's just like, uh, just really an inspiration and, and carries the message. Absolutely. P- Megan is the director of business development at my treatment center, Camelback Recovery. That's how, yeah, that's what, it, that's what rang a bell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's awesome. She has a great story. She, and, and, you know, I think that the thing that all, all of us have in common is that we're like, we're, we work hard at carrying the message and the reason we carry the message is because we all want to stay clean and sober. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, that's why we help other people, because I want to be fulfilled. I want to be happy and I want to make a contribution to this world. And I know that making a contribution to this world is what brings fulfillment and happiness. Yeah, I I, um, I couldn't agree with you anymore. My uh, So my brother passed away in uh, May and he was sober. He died of, of cancer. It kind of came quickly. Um, was never life threatening, and then it ended up killing him. And he, all he would want is for me to stay sober and carry the message. That's all he would want. Like it's kind of mm-hmm. simple. You think when somebody who you love, and how can I honor them when they die? Um, it's just like getting sober, really. Um, it's simple, right? It's don't overcomplicate it. Just yeah. stay sober and carry the message. Yeah. And, and you know that's what I'm doing here with you. And because honestly, like you said that makes me fulfilled and i think that's what he would want you know he loved me that much he would want me to be fulfilled and he would want me to take advantage and tap into the unique ability that i have that you have to talk to other drunks and drug addicts about what it's like to come out of the wilderness and into a great life which you know i love how you phrase this it's for newcomers um and because when i was coming around and that's why you mentioned numerous attempts in and out i was in and out in and out in and out because i i i didn't think it would be fun i didn't know what being sober um what the magic it really held i was too preoccupied on you know i'm not gonna be able to toast at my son's wedding in in 30 years you know right 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 right, yeah i don't have a son and i've never been married dude i'm not gonna be able to drink a glass of wine with a good steak yeah (laughs) and and, you know like that and they talk about it when you get sober about that euphoric recall and i really do have that still once in a while where it's like gosh i remember that one time the one time i went to dinner (laughs) and had two glasses of wine and went home and didn't have any more it was one out of like a hundred thousand, it feels like. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So let's 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 dig into your story. Tell me, uh, tell me about your your upbringing. Um, where were you born? Siblings? Yeah. What was your family like? Like sure. life? Like? Yeah, I, I grew up um, outside of Philadelphia in an area, uh, Villanova, where the, where the college is, the university, and it was a great life, man. I, I was grew up in the suburbs, nice area. A lot of fear in the household that I wasn't aware of now that I look back. You know, my dad was, I struggle saying this because I love my dad so much. And he was one of the main reasons I was able to get sober. But he was an alcoholic. And he was he was functional, whatever you want to call functional. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, what's a functional yeah. alcoholic? Like, you don't really have any real relationships. And, uh, you know, you're driven by all kinds of fear and stuff. And but, you know, that's what he was. And but he provided a good life for us. Uh, but um, he is whole family, whole side. Now, of OK, what would you yeah. say? What's what's the definition of a good life anyways? Well, okay, we went on the street. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. A good life, does a good life mean you're happy and fulfilled? Or, I mean, because you can, I mean, a good life could be you're provided for, you have a place to live, you have food, um, and and you get to go to school. But really, I mean, is that really a good life? No, you sound like my my brother who I brought up. You know, he was a therapist, and he was always like, he always thought I was from another planet, you know, because I was like, hey, we, we had a good upbringing. He's like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, I I I honor my 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 dad. My mom, you know, she's kind of woke up to his alcoholism, you know, and then she was kind of like trying to figure it out. And um, she was so loving and doted on us. And then my dad was just a hard guy to please. He was tough, rough around the edges. Went to work every day. I think that he, um, his ultimate goal was to meet some. level financially where he could never have stress you know i I think or take care of us i think my parents were over their skis financially at a uh at a very early age and i think that that haunted my dad um up until maybe the last 15 years of his life when he was able to retire with a little bit of money um but the alcoholism was always always there there was always like you know and some some of it was romantic right people coming over the martini glasses i can remember having the, the chilled olives um, from an old from uh, somebody's martini and I, I really did like the way it tasted um, and then I'll tell you my 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 first interaction you know with alcohol and drugs was I was a kid uh, and I had all kinds of uh, behavioral problems so they put me on um, Adderall as, as, a, as a little kid and I can remember really feeling like wow this is doing something for me like like legitimately change a, a mood altering substance one and then two it made me feel like I was, I guess, up to snuff with everybody else. And, you know, from that moment, it was almost like the chemical reaction certainly happened. But then there was maybe like a placebo effect where it was like, I got, I'm not as good as everybody else. I got to take something. Like they sent me when I was a kid, I was dyslexic. And so I went to a Catholic grade school. And so I would go to the reading van and the normal kids would be in class with everybody else. And at the time, I was never able to really process that. But looking back now, knowing a little bit about um, the evolution of people and my and my evolution, my development, I'm like, well, that was probably tough on that kid, right. you know? Um, yeah. So that was a uh, but but taking the Adderall, and, and and I'm not here to tell anybody about any any kind of medication or whatever. If your doctor prescribes you, or that's a whole another podcast. My experience was I took that shit stuff. Sorry, and and I felt. <laughs> I felt different, you know, and I felt like I was going to need something to be on par with everybody else. And then as as I developed, you know, I remember my brother, Kevin, my oldest brother, my parents would go to like 7-Eleven and he would have a, a keg party, which was awesome. <laughs> how, many, how many siblings did you have? Two older brothers, Michael and Kevin, both okay. sober. Kevin, uh, who I mentioned, died sober. And then Mike is still sober. I think he'll have 17 years um, in like a couple weeks. Okay. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It really is awesome because it's the last thing that I think any of us thought we'd be involved in, you know? 
And it was, we certainly fought it tooth and nail for so long. So I, I can remember drinking, getting drunk when my brother had a party and getting sick, like probably fifth grade. Um, and then, and then I really didn't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really experience or experiment much with, with alcohol until I was in high school. You know, I always, I always tell people, like, I remember going to uh, dances in eighth grade and being so nervous. And then I can remember going to dances when I was in high school after I started to drink. And Tim, man, I, I couldn't wait to get there. Right. I mean, it was this incredible gift. I, I, I was, I can never talk to girls. I wasn't, I mean, socially, I was great with like my parents' friends and, and my brother's friends, but like, it was weird. Like I was not on par with like people my own age. I don't know, but that everything changed when I started to drink. Um, and, and there was this, you know, you know, the joy that I got from sobriety was the same joy uh, that I got from drinking initially. I mean, I really was like, okay. And and there was so much, I think it, it's such a mind F. It's such a lie. Like there was so much hope um, and, and potential, what I thought, like wrapped up in this, you know, oh my gosh, if I have this, I can do anything. Quickly, it, it all changed really. I mean, I drank all throughout high school a lot. I mean, whenever I get my hands on it, you know, I started to smoke weed. Were you, um, now, were you a blackout drinker? What kind of a drinker were you in high school? Whatever. I mean, like sometimes I black out, sometimes yeah. I wouldn't. Um, I, I guess I wouldn't. I, I guess I would say I, I wasn't necessarily a blackout drinker. I mean, a couple times I, I can, I, I don't remember, right? Blacking out. I was told I blacked out. And then, but most of the time I can kind of remember being awake because one, I, I ended up being a bigger dude because um, I started to play football in high school. Mm -hmm. So when I started to play football, I put on weight or was always yeah. trying to. And then it was, it was funny. It worked out. I mean, first of all, one thing I want to mention throughout high school, I had two older brothers who were sort of socially paved the way. Um, I, 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 I was, you know, I grew up in a great area of, of, of the world of the country. I mean, like I did, you know, regardless of what that looked like on the inside. Um, right. I certainly didn't grow up in, in an area where people wanted for a lot. And uh, so there was entitlement I had. That's why I bring that up, you know, born on right. third base, thought I hit a triple. You know, I heard somebody say that in a meeting once and I was like that, you know, you go and I was like, me too. Like, that's me. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. So I, I, um, I, I ended up getting a scholarship to play at the University of Richmond. Now, my second semester of my senior year, I can really remember my mom was not an addict, but she kept all of her old prescriptions and I like discovered them my second uh -huh. semester senior year. And like I was taking this stuff. I mean, it was like a pharmacy in there and I was taking it before school, after school. Now I'm taking um, Adderall to play sports because I think I need it because I play better when I take it. Um, or at least I think I do. You think you play better, right? You yes. think you play better. You think you're smarter. You think yeah. like like all of these things, which is not even true. Right? No, no, yeah. it's not. You have all these ideas. And again, it's I, alcohol and drugs is the biggest lie in my, yeah. in, in, in the universe. And it really messed me up for a while, that lie, um, because I was sick, you know, and, and I had this thing in my brain told me I needed it and it wasn't hurting me. Uh, and it continued on with this, with these prescription drugs now, marijuana and alcohol. This is a daily steady diet for me at 17 years of age. And I ended up getting to play in this all-star game in Philadelphia in my senior year in high school before I went to Richmond to play football. And uh, I was getting a physical and this doctor was like, Hey, there's something wrong with your heart. It's beating 
Um, you have an arrhythmia, you got to see a cardiologist. So I go to see a cardiologist and the cardiologist is like, Hey man, you have uh, something called cardiomyopathy. You know, you're not, you're not going to be able to play. And he said, you could have gotten it one of two ways. Either one, you got it through uh, abuse of alcohol and drugs. Um, you know, that's a possibility, but factoring into that also was you had a virus go through your body for so long, the virus goes away and your, your body is so used to attacking the virus. It kind of goes after your organs or, or your, or your body. It's called viral cardiomyopathy. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I definitely got it from just the virus, you know, like right away. I was like, you know, it was presented to me like you could have gotten this drinking could have played a part in this. And I was like, no way. You know, there was no way anybody was going to get in between this drug, these substances and me, you know. Um, And uh, I got to college. They are they honored my scholarship, which was incredible. I went Mm -hmm. to school with guys that I'm still friends with now, like family. Um, but guys who didn't talk to me for a while, because I, you know, I, I, after college, you know, we'll get to that. I was, I just deteriorated because of alcohol and drug addiction. When did you realize you were an alcoholic? Pretty, you know, I knew I had a problem pretty early (laughs) because I was like, this is this works better for me than anybody else. You know, I can remember even being a senior and or junior senior in high school and like waking up in the morning after a keg party and drinking from the keg again. And people are like, dude, we got to go home or what? I was like, why would you guys not want to continue to do this? Right. And so. got to finish this. Yeah. And, and, and again, it was this superpower. I thought it was this big secret that I was in on and everybody else kind of didn't quite get. And then I, I knew when I got to college, I think I, I, I knew that I was so, so, cause my mom did a pretty good job of drilling it into our head. Like your father's an alcoholic, your father's an alcoholic, his whole family is they're alcoholics. And she didn't say it with, you know, hatred or disgust. It was just like, this is a fact. You need to look out for this. This is real. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew it, I, I was able, even with my sick alcoholic and addicted brain, I was able to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together right around, you know, at some point in college, because I, because also I had this heart problem and people were like, don't drink. And I was like, yeah, right. You know? And so there was like, there was definitely an awareness there that I had whatever my mom was talking about. And then I would see, and this is why I think what you do is important and what I try to do is important because, you know, recovering out loud, there were, I did see stories. I remember reading a sports illustrated article about Chris Mullen, the basketball player getting Mm -hmm. sober. And, and I thought that was super interesting and super cool. You know, I, I, the story in itself, I, I guess I was big into comebacks and stuff, but I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And, it really planted a seed. You know how you talk about people that come to meetings and they won't get sober, but maybe the seed was planted. Like uh, there was definitely a couple seeds planted early on. Like, okay, you can get sober and it's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, and, and just kind of on that note, we've had lots of people at our treatment center that we've worked with lots of celebrities, very high profile individuals. And I remember one specific, most of them were pretty open. And I mean, like, I think it's important for people to be open. I'm very open and I'm an example. And when people see my life and when they see your life, it's like, okay, it is possible. And we had, we had this one um, very high profile uh, client and he just wanted to be very hush hush. He didn't want to share it with anybody, which, Hey, that's, that's his deal. And we respect that of course, but um I just don't, I don't think that's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's being, 
speaking out loud about your message and your story, I think is just very helpful to people. Well, and also too, for me, I, I, once, you know, and we're getting there, but once I really hit the skids, I mean, everybody knew I had a problem. So again, all I have is my story, but it was one of those things where, yeah, I'm, I'm different. I'm sober. Everybody knew. And, and I wanted to, to, to just talk about it because, and I didn't have this magic plan then, but it was, there's an accountability to that. Like yeah. when, when, oh. when other people know it's way it's, there's just, it's, it's more difficult to pick up a drink around a circle of people who love you that know you have an issue as opposed to you're not telling, nobody knows. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it's like the, the, re- the reason I speak out, okay. I, we put free content out into the world. We're helping people. The reason I sponsor people. Yes. I want them to stay clean and sober, but really at the end of the day, it's me. I want to stay yeah. sober. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Like the reason why I talk about my story, the reason I do the things I do is because I want to stay sober. And I've created so many layers of accountability in my life. And, <laughs> yes. and, and I know you have too. So it's just like, I got a lot to lose. If I, if I, if I decide that I want to go, uh, you know, live my old life again. I mean, my whole, my whole life that I've created kind of goes away. Dude, I, I, I can totally relate yeah. sometimes, you know, cause I have that thing in my head that tells me, Oh, maybe you can drink or whatever. It's like, dude, when I think about that, I'm like, well, I don't even know where I would live or where I would go. Like, people, everybody, like nobody, you know, so it's kind of, you're right. Those layers of accountability, I love how you worded that, are are important to my sobriety. They they really, really are. Um, so back, so back, I'm in high school or college, I'm, I, I'm reading about Chris Mullen getting sober, but I'm still off to the races. I finish up college and, uh, you know, I ended up kind of, Falling, I fall ass backwards into a job and I go ahead and I go up to New York. Now, at the time, I, there's a ecstasy was big. I graduated uh, 99, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and college. So it was everywhere. And I was taking it way like an addict would take it, you know, like and I could and I really felt that's one of the things, too. Or I was like, this is not good for my brain. I can remember thinking like I, I'm not this is affecting me like. Totally different stuff. Again, I had no idea really what was in it. I took it. It would feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can remember being like, whoa, this is scary. Because I would, I mean, I would take like four or five and not be able to move people. I, we would go to a club or something and I would just like collapse or wouldn't be able to talk. I mean, like it was bad, right? I mean, like it's what it looks like. It's ugly. And right. uh, my friends were really worried about me. And then I got a job in New York um, and I moved in, and I moved up to New York and I, and I kind of, I always tell people this as a drug addict and an alcoholic, you know, I, I did, I had some skills like God given gifts. Um, so if you were to hire me or I were to start to date you, you know, um, or you gave me the keys to your car or your vacation house, like at the beginning, maybe for a little while, I like, I'd be okay. But like I, sooner or later, the alcoholic was showing up, the addict was showing up. And, you know, steal your shit and help you look for it, man. That was like, that's what I would do. You know, that 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 is the person that I turn into when I'm in the grips mm-hmm. of, of alcohol and drug addiction. And I saw that start to happen. But I also, the reason I brought that up is I was able to piece together um, stretches of, you know, somewhat success or productivity and being able to contribute where people would keep me around long enough that I would become a real problem for them, you know? Um, So, I mean, I'm living in New York, working for this sports agent for this other sports company, living fast, living hard. And I discover cocaine. And that's when it really, Mm. 
it was a whole nother level. I mean, it was the moment I remember the first time I did it, I thought to myself, like, I, I want to do this again every day for the rest of my life. I compared it to when I was a kid and uh, I got Tecmo Bowl. And the next day, I remember I was fake sick from school so I could play Tecmo Bowl. I was right. upset. Uh-huh. And this, I get the same feeling with the, with that drug. Like, I'm going to do this every day. Like, I, I don't know why. The next day, I skipped work and just did it all day because I finally had had my own. Um, and it was it was a whole new ball game, man. You know, it was early on in that addiction. It was sorted places, lower companions, like right away. The sun goes, uh, uh, is coming up. People don't know where I am, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that was a pretty quick descent for me uh, as far as, okay. I mean, I probably started to use that drug in October of 2000. I mean, in 2002, I was back at home living with my parents like with nothing you know wow yeah yeah and, and with nothing and and i uh i was really in bad shape like we get and then it, and then my parents you know like normal people they would go to sleep at night right and so once they did that i, I remember once i took my dad's car down to philadelphia and I, I put it up on a medium because i was driving was driving to get what i was going to get down there uh and and the police were like hey like they came because the car is on a median and uh, they take me down off. And I'm like, Hey, like um, I got to go somewhere. Like, you know, I, I, we got to hurry, hurry this up. And they're like, dude, you're coming with us. <laughs> <laughs> and the yeah. reason I bring that up is because that was my first foray into uh, 12 steps, you know, the next morning, uh, you know, obviously I got in trouble with the law. The next morning I went to an AA meeting um, and I, I, I did that for about three months and I really why, now why why did you go to an AA meeting the next day? Did you back did you trouble? On your... That's what they tell you, right? I have people on my back. I mean, I was I I was looking for <laughs> I was looking for back trouble. I've never heard that. I've yeah, heard I, that I, a bunch of I back trouble, yeah. Back. People on my back. Okay. <laughs> I, I was looking for some kind of relief. Uh, you know, I didn't know what I wanted then, but I I, I was like, I gotta change something. You know, there were a bunch of people over my house the next day after all this had happened. Um, and my buddy who was sober and is sober, he, he lived in Phoenix for a little while, but he was sober for, I don't know. Now he's probably sober for 20 some years, but he got sober when we were 18. And so he took me to my first meeting at like 26, I guess. And so you were, so you went to your first meeting really just to, to kind of appease everybody else. It wasn't yeah. truly thought that you needed to get sober. I mean, I didn't even go there like in my own mind, you know, like I, that first meeting, I was like totally a blur, but I, but, but, but it, it felt good. Like I had no other option. So I kept going and it, it actually started to work. Like these people I was around had great energy. Um, I respected them a lot. Um, and they told stories that, you know, I was like, whoa, these people are just like me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I made the fatal mistake I'm just, I continue to hang around my old friends. And even though they knew I had a, an issue, nobody was, I mean, people were like, Hey, don't drink, don't do drugs. But one night, man, I was just like, people are passing around a joint. I was like, yeah, I got it. Let me, let me, let me hit that. You know? And mm-hmm. so I started to smoke weed for the next like nine months and without drinking. And then I got a job in Colorado. And the moment I got there, I started to drink again. And it was like, same stuff. Like mm-hmm. the first night, you know, it's like, Whoa. And that's terrifying people even if you if you go back out and you drink it doesn't mean the first night you're going to get arrested or whatever but 
for me, I, I flirted with it right away. The disaster. I mean, like it was like, whoa, what am I doing? I'm 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 searching for hard drugs. The first night I'm drinking, I was like, this is not a tenable situation. But you lie to yourself because the next night I went to Chili's with three of my friends and had two beers, and I was like, okay, I can do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. I got forgetting yeah, yeah. about the night before. But I mean, long story made shorter. I was out of control for for the next seven years. Just like. I kept jobs. You know, I worked in the NBA, working in public relations. I worked for the Sixers. I worked for the Hornets. I gave my bosses absolute fits. You know, I had those moments, like we talked about, where I was a good employee and I was um, a decent person. But eventually, that stuff always caught up to me. And I still was of the belief that it was helping me. I mean, it was big in my relationships with women. You know, I couldn't talk to women without it, really. And I think that was one of the unfortunate parts of when I first stopped drinking is that I never worked steps. I never got really into a program where I could figure out it's no big deal to talk to people, dude. Like, <laughs> like you can do right. that. Right. Right. You know, but that was the lie, dude. That was the lie. So I ended up, I was back in Charlotte working for the Hornets and I was doing some radio and, and my life was just in free fall and free fall. And then I ended up going back home to Philadelphia for the summer. Um, and uh, I, uh, cause basketball season, you know, I was, I was season had ended and I couldn't stop drinking and I could, and I was going to meetings and now we're in the fall um, and I can't stop. And I remember one night I was, uh, and I had so much wreckage, you know, I think you can figure out just from my story, but broken relationships, trouble with employers, trouble with the law, just a lot of a lot of people out there who were not big fans of me at the time. And a lot of people who were really disappointed because they knew me when I was younger. They saw the light shine bright when I was a kid and even a younger man. And then they just saw darkness now. Um, and it was really sad for a lot of people. Uh, and I, I was going to meetings again and I asked this guy to be my temporary sponsor. And he one night he was like, hey, let's go to a meeting. I'll pick you up. And so he was picking me up. And at this point in time, I'm still not stopped. You know, I'm taking pills or whatever I can do to, I think I'm fooling the world, you know, right, right. but I'm rock bottom, right? Yeah. Like no money. If I can, if I can get to the corner bar with $10 and a couple of like, I think that I've got this great life. You know, I'm out of my mind. Right, you know? right, right. So I, um, he was like, Hey, like, actually, we're not going to go to a meeting. We're going to, we're going to go to dinner. And he told me his story and he looked at me knowing Everything about me, right? It just was like, hey, I think, you know, my story included going to treatment. You, you should probably go. <laughs> you should probably go. <laughs> right, right, right. And I remember, dude, it was the it was like there was a window that God opened up for me like that much. The, mm -hmm. And I feel like it was the last one. And I just like, like if you if you're just listening to this, it's like a six inch, <laughs> like whatever, a foot, you know, open, um, cracked open. And I just rolled out the other side. And I was like, okay. And I went home and I told my parents, I was like, hey, like, I need to go to treatment. They're like, Poof, like, do you ever? You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> everybody knew. Everybody, you were the last, you're you're the last one to know. Yeah. There you go, dude. When you're an alcoholic or an addict, a lot of times, or in my experience, you're the last one to know. Just like how really how bad it is and how awful the situation is. So I went to, to rehab uh, in, in Pennsylvania, not far from where I grew up. And uh, my life started to change. I mean, I bought, I bought in. I needed the facility, the facilitation 
the recovery. And honestly, plain and simple, I needed walls in between me and the outside world. I just did. I needed that little bit, that buffer where it was like, you can't leave, dude. You know, like, and, and I, and I, I was very, I was one thing that really was looking back a huge part of my sobriety was that gift of desperation. We talked about at the beginning, I had the gift of desperation and I became coachable. Um, I listened to what people told me to do. I saw that people had a life that I wanted. And so I followed what they said to do. And, and that was a major shift for mm-hmm. me. I had never, you know, I always thought I had it figured out. I'm, there was no more figuring it out. And uh, a, a big example for me about recovery working, um, I was dating this girl before I got sober. And, and, you know, she was fine, but she was dating me, you know, so she was, there was, there was a problem there with her somewhere. Right, right, right. Um, and she came to see me in treatment and, uh, you know, she, we were talking and it was the second week I was there and we were in this chapel and she was showing me pictures on her phone of her daughter and like a text message popped up from a dude. And I'm like, who's the, who's the guy? Let me see the phone. Who is he? And I, all of a sudden I was that guy before that, before I came in, you know? Yeah. And there was like something about this person I didn't like about me. And I made this, I had been coached up to this point where I was like, you know what? I remember thinking like just kind of pausing something I'd never done before. Maybe it was a second. It felt like an eternity. And I was just like, I knew the answer. And I was like, Hey, I'd like you to leave. And she got up and she left. And I remember feeling so scared and, and sort of sad, you know, but, but also like, wow. Like I just did something hard without being drunk, you know, like it was an esteemable act. Like I had actually taken for the first time on my own accord, like with the help of God, but like I had done something right and it felt good. And if anybody's watching this uh, and you're in a bad relationship, go to Camelback and and break up with a toxic person. And you're in, you're, you're, I always tell people I joke around, but I'm also serious breaking up with somebody while I was in treatment was the best thing that ever happened to me. Cause you're, you're, you have counsel like 24 hours a day. You can't, I mean, the way it was for me, you can't call that person. They can't call you. It's just what I needed. Again, the right. buff, you know? Um, and then well, I got, you know, and, and actually what that speaks to is just the hard conversations that we learn to have while in recovery. And, and, yeah. and I, I love the line, uh, life is hard if you live it the easy way and easy if you live it the hard way. Oh, and that, and, and those are the hard conversations. I mean, I've had breakup conversations with people that I never, I mean, shoot, I got married, even though I shouldn't have gotten, even though I knew that, that you know, this was, this was obviously pre-sobriety and, and, you know, yeah. she, she left me and we got divorced, but I wasn't, I didn't have the courage to have that hard conversation. So we ended up getting married yeah. and, 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 and today, like I've gone through lots of breakups and I've gone through, I've had lots of difficult conversations and the difficult, learning how to have those difficult conversations is one of the biggest gifts that I've gotten from being clean and sober. Yes. And 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 the thing about that we do today that you, we, you continue to do, if you want to live a free life and that great life you mentioned is you have to continue to flex the muscle in recovery. Like it's never, you know, it's, 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 I don't even want to say it's work because it's so enjoyable but like you have to continue to stay connected. I talk to a sober guy every morning, a guy who I've been lucky enough to talk to since probably eight or nine years ago when he got sober. And if I get off the phone with that guy and I still have some crazy idea in my head, well, then I'm keeping a secret. You know, like like I've got to get all the garbage out. So if I'm dating a woman who 
he knows is toxic. He'll, 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 he'll just shoot me straight. You know yeah, what I mean? I, or if I'm making a decision, like, so back to what we were talking about, I, I get to recovery and uh, rehab. And another huge decision I made is when they were like, okay, I wrapped up my 30 days and they're like, you can, you need to go somewhere else, dude. Like you can't go, you, can't, you got no business back out there. Right. You know, like, and you got a lot more um, to get in here. And I went to a, a treatment center. It was, it was nothing posh, man, uh, an extended care center rather like a, uh, a halfway house. And, uh, you know, it was rough around the edges, dude. I got there. It was like, a, it was like 10, 15 dudes in a house. We were, um, you know, I remember I first got in there and I opened the top drawer and there was a, like a dried out bowl of SpaghettiOs. And I was like, Whoa, this is not, this is not the treatment center. I was just like, <laughs> right. you know, and, uh, there were, um, you know, my roommates like waking up in the middle of the night, smoking cigarettes in the room. The guy below me, there's th there's three of us in the room is just chain chainsaw snoring. And I'm like, I don't know that I can do this, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I did it. And, and a big and, and I, the reason I kept doing it, I started to feel good. Like recovery started to work. You know, I noticed myself. There were like five or six guys in the house who wanted to stay sober. So I would talk with them after we would get home from meetings and I would feel charged up about recovery. I would feel, I started to get that feeling from recovery that I got from alcohol and drugs. And I was like, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa this is working. I was like, wait a minute. Like, I feel great. And, and I was like, I, I, so I started to chase it. And uh, that's ultimately looking back what, what saved my life, you know, chasing sobriety, like I chased mm -hmm. alcohol or drugs. And I, one thing happened, this is like, a big turning point for me. They were like, you need to get a job or you can't live here anymore. You know, I've been, I've been like pushing it off for, for so long because my ego was like, you're not going to get a job, like a recovery job. Like you, I work for NBA teams and all this stuff. And uh, then I went out and tried to get a job and I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get hired. You know, I'm getting turned Dick sports turns me now. This place called Liberty tax. Somebody's outside waving in a giant statue of Liberty outfit. I'm like, I'll do that. They're like, dude, you here to work here. You know what I mean? You don't have the credentials. I was like, wow. And then I eventually got a job at KFC, which was crazy because I thought I was above this job, but then I started working there and I was terrified because I didn't know what to do. I couldn't work a register. I, I, I couldn't make the chicken sandwiches. I couldn't follow simple directions, really. I couldn't, and I couldn't really figure anything out. I had to like settle down and learn something for the first time. And uh, this woman, Sharika Passwaters, was actually a graduate of a recovery center in that area. And so she hired me because she figured, she, let me give this guy a shot, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I couldn't, I didn't let her leave. Like, I was like, Sharika, come over here. I got to figure out the register. She was like, dude, like, here's how you do it, whatever. And I still had that fight or flight, you know? I'm, the line would be super long. And I'd be like, I got to go to the bathroom. They're like, dude, what? They're like, we got like 15 customers here. And I would just like panic. Um, and I learned the, I'm this grown man, you know, people that come into KFC looking for like a two piece. are like, what, the, what's going on here? Right. So I, uh, I learned and, and I, and that was another big esteemable thing. I got such confidence from that because I took it seriously. I had pride in it and I learned something, how to do stuff. I'd never, I was always entitled. I never had to work a job like that. And I never really learned like the basics anywhere sober for sure. And uh, I can remember like towards the end of my time at KFC, this guy is coming to the drive through and he's being a real prick. You know, he's like, Hello, anybody there? And I have the headset on and I'm like, uh, you know, this guy sucks. I'm thinking to myself. And then I'm like, I'm sorry, sir. Like, 
one of the chickens is loose in the back here. And he's like, yeah, the chickens there. I'm like, no, dude, there's no chickens. Just relax. We'll get with you in a second. Right. And I noticed I was becoming comfortable in my own skin. Right. Starting to wear life like a loose shirt. You know, right. it was right. really, really starting to work. And I went to, I moved to Jersey city, New Jersey. I live with so another- how, how yeah. going back, how helpful. Cause speaking to the, the recovery jobs, I mean, I had a, a recovery, I guess I would call it a recovery job. I drove for Uber. I, I mean, it was like one of the best things I ever did is yeah. just to have a, have a job like that and have to take instructions, not be an yeah. asshole. I mean, yeah. it's like, how, how helpful was that? Cause I know, cause there's a lot of people like you and like I was that we, we already had careers. We already were making money and we think we're too good. And, and, and I've also heard people they Oh, I need to provide for my family. I need to make more money yada 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 but how how important was it for you to go out and get get that recovery job well somebody said something to me and it really clicked it's a couple months for the rest of your life or maybe six months or a year for the rest of your life and that is includes everything you know and the recovery job is a part of that and if you can't i just can only speak for myself but like there was no providing for anybody if i didn't get the help that i needed and really go all in and and that included that recovery job. And, you know, it, it just, it gave, it gave me confidence. And to this day, I carry it with me. It gave me humility. It is like a superpower in a sense where, you know, again, humility is like a daily reprieve, right? You practice it. Um, but like, I, 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 I can relate to people easier, better. Now. I just like, it really taught me a lot. And it taught me a lot about how, how fortunate I am to be sober um, but yeah, it really, it gave me such perspective, dude, that I, that I just did not have before. And it was such an incredible part of my journey and a thread that still goes through it today. It, I mean, and I'm not overstating it. It was everything for me. It was a huge change because it was the first very difficult thing I committed to. I mean, I had to go to rehab. I mean, I had to like all this stuff. I, I, you know, I didn't really have much of a choice in it if I wanted to live, but this, I was like, well, I'm willingly going to take this. I don't know. At least I thought I was making my own decisions. But it, it was a major league shift in my in my thinking, right? It was the next thing to do that was suggested of me. And it was pretty big. And, and it was hard. You know, I mean, I, I can remember thinking, like, if somebody comes off I-95 that I used to work with in the NBA and, and comes to order chicken, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. You know, like that, I would be consumed with that. You know, my ego would be like, whatever. Now it's like the first thing I tell people, you know, <laughs> it's like, I'm really proud of it. Because yeah, it's, yeah. it's part of my, my journey. I wear it like a badge of honor. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, driving for Uber, I remember driving and picking people up that I knew and yeah, very humbling, very yeah. humbling. It was the, but it was the and today I see those people around and it's like oh man I remember I drove him when I was driving for Uber yeah and uh, it's just it's it's just and it's sometimes like, they're not in the best shape and you think wow oh yeah it's, it's funny how it works out you know mm -hmm. I um I'll tell this last thing about the recovery job I was I was walk you know you weren't allowed to get rides with anybody when you lived in the recovery house so you'd always walk wherever you're going and I was your sponsor could drive you but I was walking to. Um, back to the recovery house from KFC and my KFC uniform, it's pouring rain. Mm -hmm. And uh, this dude from an AA meeting like pulls over, like totally cool dude. He's like, yo man, get in the car. I'm like, oh, I can't like, you know, can't like ride. He's like, dude, get in the car. 
You know, it's pouring rain. I get in the car and he's driving me this like short distance home, but it's like thundering. And he just looked at me and he was kind of laughing. He goes, dude, I swear. He goes, dude, I swear it gets better. You know? <laughs> it's like, it's better. Yeah, yeah. And I always remember that because it's gotten so much better. So right. much better. Um, so anyways, I live with the guy from recovery. I'm just deep in the woods of recovery, in the best woods possible. I mean, I live with another sober guy for about 18 months. Um, I'm going to meetings all over because I'm living in North Jersey, right by New York City. So I'm going to meetings in Hoboken. I'm going to meetings in Jersey City, and I'm loving it. Recovery is who I am. And then I start to get opportunities that I had previously thought I would never get again or never even get because I had gone so far down the rabbit hole. I started calling games for the NBA G League. Um, I started to just do all kinds of uh, jobs broadcasting-wise just because I knew after that KFC experience too – that like that was I wasn't better than any anything, you know what I mean? Like, and I knew how to kind of hone my my craft, and I followed suggestions. People said you need to work here, you know, or that was the next right thing to do, the next indicated thing. Um, I would do it, and I, I I ended up back in Charlotte working for the Hornets. You know, a story I tell because it's because it's worth telling is when I was in my addiction in my last like year or two. I was working for the Hornets. I was doing radio for the Hornets, and. Uh, I was, I woke up the day of a playoff game and I did what we do. You know, I started to do drugs and then at the playoff game, I was not feeling, I wasn't feeling myself, you know, the drugs were were worn off and uh, you know, Michael Jordan, who owns the team is walking by me to get to his seat on the bench, like right next to the bench. And he doesn't know me, but he recognized me. I work for the team, you know? So he gives me like, I didn't see him, but he goes by me and he, and he kind of pats me on the back, like just to kind of, Hey, move maneuver around. I'm going over here. Like totally cool. But like, I, was like oh my god like i was like just totally shocked because i'm all tweaked you know and it's the greatest player of all time like kind of like giving me a nice like hey slip aside so i go to my seat it's it's the playoffs which i always wanted to work in basketball i'd always wanted to be a broadcaster all these things that i should be so excited about and living in the moment and thriving and tim all i wanted was to get out of there and have like a vodka tonic you know what i mean or just like i needed a drink i needed to settle down Mm-hmm. And like, I remember even then thinking like, wow, this is like, this, this blows. So then I'm sober, like four years, four years sober. I get a job with the Hornets again. I'm back in the arena and Michael Jordan is walking with another guy and he goes by me again. And he's like, she's so cool. He walks so fast. He's when, like the, like the super famous walk. Like you can never catch him if you wanted to. Yeah, he's just like, well, right. so he's doing another one of those things where he's walking so fast. And the guy, I knew the guy that was with him and the guy's like, Hey Pete, and Mike was like, hey, what's up, Pete? And he pats me on the back. And I remember thinking, now I'm four years sober. And I'm like, like, like I'm, I, I got another chance. Yeah. You know, I, I did my part, but I got another chance. Like, and it, that was a, a lot of times for me when I was really, and I was, I'm not, I'm, I'm still pretty, pretty damn dialed in with sobriety and, and, and seeing things now. But like, there have been so many little God winks along the way. Like, you're doing the right thing, dude. Like even when you're having the worst time, you know, but you show up, you you do the right thing. And uh, I, I, I've i always been a meeting maker. Uh, there's way more to it than that. I, I know. But like for me, the camaraderie and the tip of the cap to God by going out of your way to go to a 12 step meeting um, is is pretty important. And what I find in those meetings is like a wellspring to everything else. You know, that's where I find my sponsors. That's where I find my service commitments. A lot of times that's where I find God for that day. 
you know? Um, and uh, again, it's a thread that's way more than just meetings, but for me, that's a huge part of it. So I've always been kind of a meeting maker and, and it can, I heard a guy say once, like, if I'm not going to meetings for a couple of days, I start to feel it. But if I don't go to meetings for like a week or so, like everybody around me starts to feel it, you know, and that's kind of, I, I, I will bring that component a little bit. Um, but yeah, things like really started to take off. I started, I worked in television. Go ahead. You know what I was, what I'm just thinking about as you're talking about all these amazing things that have happened as a result of sobriety. I, 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 I what I'm also hearing is that you didn't have the expectation and that's kind of my experience. It's because I've seen people that are like, I'm sober now. Why don't you forgive me? I'm sober now. Why isn't my life better? Why yeah. aren't these things? Happen? And that's the thing is with sobriety, it's kind of like you do the next right thing. God's still in control. But if I do the next right thing, I keep my side of the street clean. Things start to happen. I don't exactly know how yeah. it's going to play out. You didn't. You didn't know. You didn't have the expectation that Michael Jordan was going to be cool the no. way he was. No. Yeah. And that, that, no. that's that's the secret. That's the key. Is you well, can't it's, it's, have the expectation. Yeah, it's the process that you need. It's like kind of like a Buddhist thing, right? Like you can't be attached to the end result. You have to be right. in love with the process, and like that is loving sobriety on a daily basis. And you're so right because. I know the moment I get over my skis and have an expectation, I'm, I'm getting ready to get knocked on my ass. I mean, it's <laughs> true. Yeah. Whether it's of another person, of a corporation, of a family member, whatever it is, uh, you know, I will, you know, be, be humbled. And so the key for me is to, you stay close to recovery. It keeps me right-sized. I don't take myself too seriously. Um, and I'm able to deal with all kinds of crap that comes my way because that's what comes in life. I mean, yeah. you know, it's just not, it's not that easy. Life is not that easy. And, 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 but being sober for me makes it far more manageable and way more enjoyable. Right. And it's yeah. not, I'm thinking about not being attached to the outcome, not taking things personally. It's like, my life is going to be good. Great things are going to happen. And I don't exactly know what's going to happen. Yeah. If I'm attached to an outcome, if I have expectations, I'm setting myself up to be resentful i'm setting myself up to to not feel good basically expectations are resentments in the making like you know mm -hmm. i've heard somebody say that and to what to your point you know staying really close to recovery and getting a sponsor and being close with people who were sober really helped me um manage and temper those expectations and those those amends those expectations of other people i remember i had this super toxic relationship and i was talking to my sponsor about making an amends to this this woman and he was like look dude he was like, if she's on the other side of the street, you don't cross the street to talk to her. He said, if she's on the same side of the street, you probably don't even like want to get in her way and say hi. He was like, if she's in front of you in line at Starbucks, like maybe you can say something to her. He's like, but outside of that, like it's over, you know, like, and I remember that I captured that and I was like, wow, like I have a tour guide for this journey and he is telling me that this is a wrap and to just let it go. And if God were to put it right in my face, then you can make amends. And honestly, with that situation, I was nine, 10 years sober. And the woman came, ended up back into my life, just like a conversation where I was able to make an amends. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I never thought I'd hear from this person again. And it wasn't like emotional or, uh, but it was just like, wow, this is amazing how this whole thing works. And and time takes time, dude. You know, like it doesn't happen. Right. Right. It does not happen over overnight. You know, this is 
hopefully life is long and and it provides the opportunities for us to do a lot of work and to mend the fences where it's appropriate and it's called for. So that first time you went to treatment, are, are, is that your sobriety date? Like Yeah, that, uh, November 7th, 2011. Yeah. Okay, November 7th, 2011. And did you, so that was one time, so before that, how many times did you try to get sober before you went? Oh my went? gosh. It took, I tell people, it took me 10 years to get a year. Okay, you know, okay, okay. I went to my first meeting um, in October of 2002 and I, and I celebrated a year in November of 2012. You know, I, I was, I made attempts and then I didn't make attempts. Right. I was like, oh, this is how I'm going to be. And then I made attempts again. And it was just yeah. like, it was, it sucked, man. I mean, it really did because then, it, then there became a point that I, I knew how screwed up I was. So I had to get totally inebriated to forget about that. And all the, all the wreckage in my life, you know, because I can't even handle looking at reality anymore. And that's, when it got, got super messy for me. So there's a, a, a guy named Brandon Lee, who's uh, locally owns uh, Art of Our Soul. And he talks about his journey through recovery and he relapsed after 11 years. And he he doesn't say, my he doesn't give people his sobriety date. What he does is he says, I've been in recovery for 12 years. I've been in recovery for 15 years. And I really like the way that he frames it because when you first start getting clean and sober, like the first time you try, you're on the journey. You know what I mean? So it's not like you start over. You're yeah. not starting over. Like when yeah. you finally went to treatment in 2002, you didn't start over. You All of those things that you did along the way were, still, prog they were still progress. The seeds, the seeds that are planted, the people you meet. Like, uh, yes, so much so. I mean, I can remember being out there drinking and being like thinking about what somebody said in recovery. And right. that is slowly moving me back to where I need to be. Uh, that is that's a thousand percent. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So what suggestions do you. So let's talk about the gift of desperation. Yeah. The gift of desperation. What does that mean to you? It means I was finally willing to go to any lengths. And that's when I was you know, really started to embrace the journey, not just being on the journey. When I was willing to go to any lengths and be like, okay, you want me to go to an extended care place? I'll go. At the extended care place, they want me to go to KFC and work there? I'll go. I need to go live with another sober guy for a year and change? I'll go. And, and again, I, my story is not everybody else's. You know, mm -hmm. there are guys who get sober who are CEOs of multi-million dollar companies where their journey looks different than mine. You know what I mean? Like, but my, yeah. but, but my gift of desperation was that I, I was desperate. I had nothing. Um, and I, I, I did whatever it took, dude. And like, I, I, I did whatever it took, you know, and that was, that, that was, that, that's why I'm here talking to you today. Yeah. I think the gift of desperation, what it does is it, 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 it helps you um, realize that you're, I guess it helps you take suggestions. Yes. I, I would say the gift of desperation means, hey, I don't know everything. Tell me what to do. Give me some instructions. I'll go work at KFC. I'll go drive yeah. for Uber. I'll, I'll walk home in the rain, even though it's thunder <laughs> and lightning yeah. and hail. This is, these are the things that I'm willing to do. And that's what the gift of desperation gives you, which is, humility and learning how to put your ego aside and just, and just walk, 
walk the walk, taking suggestions. Yes. I mean, that's what it is, taking suggestions and moving forward. And like you said, like when the suge- when you start to really execute, right? I mean, it's one thing to think it, but it's another thing to do it. And you really start to build that esteem we talked about. And, and you start to build a, a muscle in recovery um, that you talked about where you can find a way to have these difficult conversations, right? Like all that had atrophied. You know, and or, or maybe it was never even there, but now I'm able to have like real conversations and, right. and do things that are hard um, and sort of, you know, not be I'm, I'm sometimes I'm driven by fear. But a lot of times when I am, I know exactly where to go to get the courage and what I need. And it's not in a bottle or it's not in some pill. You know what I mean? It's in recovery and it's real. I'm t- like, I wish I could give what I have to the people that are unsure. Um but I'm telling you, man, it is the best ride you will ever be on. I mean, and that's why I love guys like you carrying the message. And because like, and people recovering out loud, you'll go to, like, I just had this girl on my podcast, right? Her name's Jennifer Leone. She's out there. She's in, in, in Los Angeles. She's sober. Tattoos up and down her arms, long blonde hair. You know, she's just out there like recovery in your face. And I think that's so important because uh, like there are cool people out there who are, who it's not like, there's still a stigma. I don't care what anybody says that right. like the people getting sober are in church basements talking about God. Like that ain't it. dude. You know what I mean? Like if that's what you want, you can find it, but like, that's not what it is, man. It's enjoying life, living it to the fullest. And like, really like just being out there. I said it before, but wearing life, like a loose shirt. It's a blast, man. Right. Yeah, it is. It is. I love my life. But yes. my life is what it is because of my recovery, because of my sobriety. I'm thinking clearly. I feel good. I like there's just so many gifts. And you know, and, and even uh we, we talked about uh dancing earlier and yeah. not I mean or or needing a drink to dance, needing a drink to get on the dance floor, needing a drink to toast. And what I realized being clean and sober, like. I don't care. Like I can get on the dance. I mean, there's yeah, so many things that I can do that I thought I needed a drink for. It's no, and, yeah. And it's I not, don't. I mean, and, I'll bring up the like the, the dangerous word like sex. Like, you know, like, yeah, like it's all good. I promise. Like yeah, I think right. like oh, I'm never gonna be able to have physical relations with somebody when I'm sober. Like, that is a lie. That is not true. You know, like, and the more you break through those things, you know, the dancing, the relationships. You know, I was in Puerto Rico and july or june for a wedding oh no it was last january but i was like out there i was like one of the first people dancing because i saw that we needed right. people out there because the bride was right. a great friend of mine and we had to kind of turn it up a little so right. i was like let's go out there so like i kind of i was the leader of that you know and right. people can mess with me whatever i'm six seven i'm out there dancing but like it doesn't matter right. you know what right. i mean like and that's the best part too there's comfort in being able to laugh at yourself you know and you're you're that that inner child is like shining again which is like, makes me so just relieved to say that authentically to you, you know? What suggestions do you have for newcomers? <sighs> Be honest for the first time in your life. Mm. It's not that big a deal. You know, like, like there's just be honest with people in recovery, be vulnerable. You will find strength and a wind in your sails like that. Like you'll never believe. And I'm not talking about be honest about your last arrest or the last time you got in trouble. Be honest about how you feel how you really feel, you know, that was a game changer for me. Um, And then, 
you know, the one thing I'll, you, you don't have to feel the way you feel for, for anymore. I mean, like it can be over. If you're on this, if you're watching this somewhere and you have one day or you don't, you can't get a day like tomorrow can be the, the start of an incredible journey, a magical journey. And honestly, man, Tim, that's why I love what you're doing because I can remember like a couple of days before I went to rehab, the 30 for 30 on Chris Heron came out and I was like, wow, like that was another big, like, it was a documentary about a celebrity who'd gotten sober. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like, I can do that. Like, it was just one of those things. And I can remember passing out on drugs, hearing that in the background, being like, there is a solution, you know? So just know that there is a solution. But I would say the number one thing is just be willing to go to any lengths. Be willing to go to any lengths. Like there's a great life out there for you. I promise. You got two guys sitting here. We are living, breathing miracles and examples of what happens if you turn your life over to recovery. And it, and, and another thing too is like, what do you, what, what's so happening about you right now? You know what I mean? Like people like, like what I, when I, before I got sober, I was, I had this awful life that I was like protected. Like, it's like, what are you doing? You're insane. Get sober. Your life's going to be awesome. Yeah. And even if visually you think you look good on the outside that, I mean, feeling good on the inside means so much more. I mean, it's, it's, it's a thousand times better than, than look, I mean, just it's, it's the way that we feel. I love the way that I feel. Okay. Let's talk about the payoff with Pete. Yeah. What's, what's the payoff with Pete? Why'd you start it? Well, first of all, I'm going to make sure you, you, you have to come on now. So it's going to be absolutely. I'd be a pleasure. I have guys like you who I find to be a, a light in recovery, whether, whether it's a, you know, you're a person that has a major cause you're behind, whether you're a celebrity, somebody who is in the middle of the boat with recovery and has something that I want, right? Um, whether it's like Ryan Leaf or former football player, Tony Mandrich, or, you know, Megan Racer, or Peter Meyerhoff, like people that carry the message and I think like are putting hope out there. So it's a podcast. It's on this, uh, it's on the Rogue Media Network and it comes out once a week. It's called The Payoff with Pete. And it's about sobriety. And the one thing I'll say, it's just like this. If, if you, you don't look, man, if you don't want to go to a meeting or whatever, like listen to the podcast, like, like just, just listen, dip your toe in the water. I can remember my parents were away and I just like totally eliminated their liquor cabinet. And I was like, had like the next morning I had like the shakes and there was a documentary of a baseball player, Dennis Eckersley. And he was talking about being sober. And I can remember watching that. And being like, I can do it. I can do it. And I think it's important that the message is out there for people that just want to dip their toe in the water and listen. Just listen and hear how great it can be. Awesome. Who's your audience? Who should who should watch your listen to your show? Uh, I mean, anybody that is sober and needs a meeting, and anybody that isn't sober and needs hope. That that is the audience right there. I mean, it's. I've had people tell me it can be a meeting in your pocket when you're walking a trail and listening to it on, you know, your, on your earphones, or it can be hope for someone who feels like they, there's no way they can stop. Awesome. Is there a question that you wanted me to ask you today that I did not ask? I don't think so. I think you did a hell of a job. I appreciate it. It was a blast. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Where can people find you? Uh, uh, social media. I'm not hard to find uh, Pete Sousa on Instagram. Uh, just send me a, a, a direct message there, Pete Souza on Instagram, um, and you, you'll be able to find me. And then just literally, if you have any questions or anything, like I'm there, like literally, Pete 
S-O-U-S-A. DM me. I'll get back to you. That's one thing. I'm like, if somebody sends me something about, I don't know, I need to get a carton of milk, I'll balk at that. But somebody sends me something about, <laughs> hey, I got somebody that's sober and needs to talk. I'm like, how do I get there? So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, Pete, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you. I got a lot out of this. And that does it for our time with Pete Sousa. Thanks again for watching. I love being sober. We'll see you on the next episode. That does it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Sousa. And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts. You can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. Hey, Cricket customers. Max with ads is included with your Cricket $60 unlimited plan at no additional cost. Max is the streaming platform where you can watch Scoob, Meg 2 The Trench, The Nightmare on Elm Street Collection, and so much more. Remember me. Just log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. We've never seen this before. Max, the one to watch for a good scream with Cricket. Phone plan streams in standard definition. Programming subject to change. Fees, terms, and restrictions apply. See cricketwireless.com for details.